important events uh, in Minnesota yesterday, the upgrading of charges. Uh, the three other officers is taken into custody as well. Corey Stern, uh, a fine attorney, a partner and civil attorney over at uh, Levy uh, Konigsberg, and uh, nice enough to give us a couple of minutes here on a Thursday morning. Corey, I hope you're well. Everything okay? Thank you, sir. Yes, I hope you are as well. Absolutely. I, I, I guess it was just a matter of time uh, when Keith Ellison uh, got the case eventually, which he should have really gotten from day one. But in essence, you knew it was coming as far as the upgrading of the charges and everything else. Give me your assessment as far as how the process uh, kind of got started from the get-go, uh, where you had Henneman County Attorney Mike Freeman kind of taking the case, not very popular with all the events that have happened, thus the switchover to the Attorney General of the state and Keith Ellison. But just give me an overall process and assessment of uh, your understanding as far as uh, from how everything kind of got going last Friday. Yeah, so once the Attorney General for the state uh, was was transferred the case or took the case, there would have been, um, you know, whether it was a, a real investigation or just a review of what it what had already been known, um, you know, these became charges that, you know, that were levied by the attorney general's office as opposed to the to the local prosecutor. And frankly, there's, there's you know, there's not a ton that needs to be reviewed. I mean, there's a video of the entire thing um, and there's statements that the officers would have made subsequent to, uh, to the, um, the death. And... It's not like reviewing, um, you know, a, a, a homicide scene where there's no perpetrator, there's no witnesses, you know, there's blood everywhere, and you're taking fingerprints and looking for DNA and trying to interview neighbors. I mean, the entire incident is caught on video. And so I think there's political components to this, obviously, uh, social components to this and then the actual charges themselves you know those components and so somebody watched this video who has the ability to prosecute you could take the the, the officer who knelt for more than three and a half minutes you could take him out of it um and then you can watch and listen to what was happening during that time and i think everyone assumed that correctly so that these other officers would be charged for effectively uh standing by permitting it to happen and not doing anything about it you know i, I heard a lot of comments yesterday regarding ellison the attorney general uh how he was according to one who i have a lot of trust in after watching and hearing him for a long time uh, that he's kind of like an ethics junkie, uh, would not bow down as far as what the public wants, uh, that he would review and everything else and then come to a decision of some sort. With that being said, is there trepidation, uh, enough of it from an attorney general, in this case, Keith Ellison, as far as, you know, upgrading the charges, as far as from third degree to second degree murder, unintentional, we'll get into that in a second, but is there a, a level of uncertainty to present in that matter? Because we all know that sometimes when you rise to the top in charges, you get whittled down somewhat. So in essence, does that play into it, even though it is so apparent with video and everything else that the entire planet has seen in the last nine days, uh, that that could sometime be a given. But what about on the level of trepidation as you think about the charges being changed? Yeah, there's, you know, attorney generals, A, are, are typically elected positions unless there's a vacancy and someone's appointed. Um, 
But more importantly, they're, you know, a base, someone on the Met, you know, uh, the second baseman for the Met is viewed and judged in many ways by his batting average. Um, you know, pitchers by their ERA wins and strikeouts. And for an attorney general whose job it is to prosecute crimes, you know, they're their win rate uh, is important to them in terms of their own ego, but more importantly, usually their job security and the way their office is viewed. And there are reasons at times where charges are less than what a community would want or more than what a community would want. And oftentimes that calculus significantly includes, you know, how, how hard or easy is the pitch to hit, you know, to continue the analogy. And so it's hard, I think, from 30,000 feet to view charges in a criminal proceeding and 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 fully understand the basis for the charges but if you if you remember the the Casey Anthony case many years ago in Florida where she was not convicted and Jose Baez represented her for for months and years after as well as for weeks prior to the charges you know the ultimate charges even being being levied, there was a sense that perhaps there was some overcharging in light of the fact that there were no witnesses. There were there was no there was no real evidence other than circumstantial evidence. And whether that's the reason that she was found not guilty on those serious charges or not, you know, only a jury would know that, and, and really only a jury would be able to talk about that. So I think there's a lot that goes into which charges are are brought and which charges are ultimately prosecuted, and they're not they're not in a vacuum. It's possible to find new information at any point in time and either recharge or add additional charges. And my guess is part of what the investigation is including now is how do we find evidence of someone's intent? You know, sometimes someone can get on Facebook or Instagram or, you know, leave a note and say, I'm going to go kill people. And it's pretty easy to decipher the intent of that person because they've told us. It's a lot more difficult when you're talking about uh, an officer who's on duty in the line of work, um, you know, within within four or five days of, of the death or murder occurring to be able to say his intent was to kill this person. Now, it very well may have been, uh, you know, some of the evidence that they may look at to determine if they want to increase the charges even more. Or how did he react to the statements of the bystanders who were, you know, forcefully urging him to, to, to stop because the man couldn't breathe? You know, what were his postings that day or subsequently or or, or prior to on social media, you know, the people who he's closest with, what did they know about how he felt? And did he have, how many complaints did he have against him? Did he ever in an interview, you know, mention anything that would lead someone to get into his mind and believe that, you know, he could have or, or did in fact intend this? But showing that someone killed someone intentionally is not, is not as easy for a prosecutor as showing that someone killed somebody recklessly and i think that's sort of the distinction that's that's at present being made here yeah it's uh and you know it's interesting talking Corey stone attorney Libby konigsberg talking about the charges yesterday in minneapolis the upgrade and the three officers in custody as well in charge now along those same line okay as mentioned prior with the charge now from third degree to second degree murder i think a key word in all of this and sometimes it could be missed Corey, with these charges is the word unintentional when one reads and sees and kind of deciphers wow unintentional his knee was on the man's throat the side of his neck stopping air and everything else 
autopsies in, we know, unintentional. When you present that type of charge now into the courtroom, is that more of a safety net to put unintentional in rather than intentional because there could be ramifications about the understanding of it all especially as we fast forward into a trial here what about that aspect yeah so you're you're asking you're asking a jury to on either on you know whether it's first degree second degree or really even third degree you're this man's 44 years old you're effectively asking um a jury to condemn someone to spend the rest of their life and likely die in jail and that's a that's a really big responsibility for a jury it may not feel that way for us in the public who've watched the video and you know are outraged by what happened irrespective of how we're reacting to it just i don't think anybody's watched that video and said oh yeah no that's not big deal. I mean, I think everybody realized the magnitude of it. But then presenting evidence to a jury and having them hear from a judge what needs to be proven, it, there's a difference between intending to put your knee on someone's throat and, and you know, but what, whatever his intent was in that moment, it very well may have been to kill him. But you have to prove that in that moment his intent was to kill the person if you're going to charge with intentional murder. Not intend to... to disarm him, not intend to keep him calm, not intend to, um, you know, to, 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 to weaken him in that moment, you have to show that there was an intent to kill. Now, the flip side is anytime someone dies by asphyxiation, there's a period of time where they're unconscious and they're not yet dead. And then it takes a little while for them to actually die. And one of the ways in which um, the prosecutor may be able to make a case for intent is there's no reason to, to, to continue to choke someone, whether it's with your knee or with your hands, once they've become unconscious, unless you're either in a fit of rage or you're intending to make sure that they're dead. I, I had a case, a civil case many years ago that involved a, a construction situation, and there was a woman who was one of the plaintiffs in the case, and she had two adopted daughters, and they were like 13 years old. This was in Georgia. And they killed her. They, they, they killed her, and they strangled her. And the, the way that they were able to ultimately charge these two young women as adults and actually convict them of the highest level of murder was by proving and showing through expert testimony that asphyxiation, you know, choking the life out of somebody, there's a period of time before they're dead when they're unconscious. And so what is required? How long does it take? And in that case, it, take, it took almost a minute and a half or two minutes after the person was unconscious for her to actually die. And what the, what the prosecutor in that case did was she stopped she started the clock, you know, for the jury once once the woman was unconscious and said, this is how long these, these women had to choke her for her to die. And she just waited two minutes after after she had become unconscious. And so it's a double-edged sword, and it's really difficult when you're not in the shoes of the prosecutor to know exactly what's in his mind. And I'm sure in this situation, more than anything, he wants a conviction. And it's the early stages still. It doesn't feel like it nationally. It doesn't feel like we're in the early stages of, of the effects. Of, of what happened in Minnesota, but for someone building a case, for someone charging now four individuals with crimes that could put each of them in jail for 50 years, and with the opportunity to still increase those charges, this is early in the investigation. You, you, you have to go through a process of interviewing the right people and studying the right information and finding the right Facebook posts and talking to the right neighbors and high school girlfriends and 
you know, and former victims who have made complaints against the police department. So there's so much that goes into the chili before it gets cooked in terms of how do we prosecute, what do we charge, and what's our theory of the case. Yeah, I can't even imagine even fast-forwarding to a jury and the selection process, Corey Stern, uh, to try and find a combination of 12 men and women uh, to give you an unbiased account of thinking uh, during what would be to be a slam dunk. I can't even imagine the questionnaire and the vetting process in in that whole regard. I mean, that is going to be something else. I mean, it's difficult. If, if you were to get 12 people together who were your best friends and you were to put them in a cul-de-sac just to have a conversation about baseball, you wouldn't be able to find 12 people without bias. I mean, bias is, for for all of us, it's inherent in each of us, whether we believe it or not. And when you, when you add into the equation that you need to either not have it, which is hard to find someone who has no bias, or that you'll put it aside when evaluating you know, 50 years of liberty being taken essentially a death sentence for for maybe four people it's just a really difficult thing to ask of people and it's their duty so most people want to do it but once you get in that box i mean we've talked about this on the show before in the context of other types of cases i mean once you're in that box and you realize the magnitude of what you're being asked just really really hard and so both the defense lawyers and the prosecutor in this case they've really got their work cut out for them i mean this is you know nothing that anybody has to experience now is 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 anything like what what the the gentleman who died and his family will ever have to experience or had to experience. But the legal process is intense and difficult, and these these prosecutors have their work cut out for them. And then sprinkle into that, you know, we saw OJ, we saw Rodney King, we've seen cases that have you know that have ended up in verdict. We now live in a in a in a period of time where where information is transmitted across the world in in nanoseconds because of social media and our ability to communicate, you've now got to balance with the the tension and the genuine injustice that's occurred, the various factions that'll be outside the courthouse and proverbially outside the courthouse. You know, like it's going to be a really hard and difficult thing for the prosecutors, but it's also an important moment. I mean, it's an important moment for our country. It's an important moment for our justice system. It's an important moment for, you know, for the family of the victim. And I think that what this prosecutor has thus far shown is, as you sort of alluded to earlier, is a, a fortitude and an ethical uh, con- and, and, and ethical conscience and an ethical constitution and internally, I don't mean on paper, that is a good foundation for keeping compassionate control of this situation as it evolves. No question. A couple of minutes remain with Corey. Uh, let's get into the, the- the other three uh, ex-police officers uh, charged yesterday, Corey, with aiding and abetting murder in connection with the death of George Floyd, now all in custody. Uh, what about the aspect of the time allotted uh, since since last Friday, actually, with uh, uh, with Chauvin and everything else and the charges from Mike Freeman? And, you know, you, you've, you've had a, a significant number of days, and, and this whole part, I guess, of the contemplation of Keith Ellison, 
uh, as far as uh, making his path and decision making in the in the right frame. Um, the, the any surprise there on the charges uh, in your estimation, aiding and abetting, as far as Tal Lane and Alexander are concerned here? Uh, not surprised. Um, you know, the, they're heavy charges, by the way. They they, they carry with them decades of of prison time as well. Um, if there wasn't a video, I-, I could understand how people might try to make the case that, you know, they're junior to this other officer. They're, you know, everybody has a role and Officer A's role was this and Officer B's role was this and Officer C's role was this. But more than just what you see on the video, what you hear from the people, you know, and, and, and urging this officer to take his knee off this man's neck, he cannot breathe. And the man saying, I cannot breathe, you know, p- people have a right even in custody to 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 their bodily integrity to not having you know the crap beat out of them to uh being able to breathe and for three officers to either have so much fear of the senior officer so much contempt or mr mr lloyd for 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 the people who are urging him to take his knee off his neck stand by there i mean three and a half minutes four minutes is a long time I mean, I would urge everybody listening to go stand in a dark closet and shut off all noise and shut off the air or the heat in your house and close your eyes and stand there for four minutes. It's, it's, it's an eternity. And it may not feel like it in the moment, but it's an eternity. And there were four minutes or two and a half minutes or however long it took for, the, for, for, for unconsciousness to set in. There was a long period of time for people in authority to step in and do something, and nobody did. So I'm not surprised at the charges. I'm not surprised it took them time to bring the charges. Um, you know, it wasn't their knee. It, you know, it's hard sometimes when there's a shooter and, and he kills somebody and he's got somebody, you know, driving in the car with him and their intention was to rob a liquor store, not to kill anybody, but they're both charged with murder, even the person who didn't shoot the gun. Well, the problem is, is that, you know, we have, we have the problem for that person is we have charges in this country we have statutes in this country that permit murder charges for someone who doesn't shoot the gun if it's in the commission of another crime. There are charges in the state of Minnesota for aiding and abetting a murder, which carry with it the same sentence as if you were to murder. So I think that it's an intense moment for those individuals because they didn't shoot the gun. But, you know, they also didn't tackle the guy with the gun, and they had a ton of opportunities to do it. Without question, uh, I'll tell you one thing. The process itself will be fascinating and uh, I was thinking about this before when we were talking about juries and whatnot you know the uh, I mean figure the day when a verdict will come down uh, and you, everyone might remember the OJ verdict in 1994 was it 95 right it was a 95 yeah because 94 yeah. everything got underway in June 95 we got that verdict in October I believe if I'm not mistaken but I mean think think of that day uh, Corey Stern uh, when we get a verdict on these uh, ex-police officers, uh, that will make the OJ verdict seem so minuscule in nature because the planet is watching. And as you mentioned, with social ve- uh, social media right now, in nanoseconds of getting messages and everything else, uh, the I can't even I can't even fathom. Let's put it that way. I can't even fathom the intensity of this um, uh, a trial to come underway and, and eventually a verdict here. That's uh, that's going to be incredible. I'll tell you that much. Give me a final thought. Yeah, there's this there's, there's this scene in uh, the movie Armageddon where 
you know, when they blow up the asteroid at the end of the movie and the world is saved, where people come running out in Asia and Antarctica and North America and South America, and you see these kids on bikes and people with American flags and everybody cheering. And in the same moment in time, the whole world realizes that the asteroid's been dis- destroyed and we're all going to live. Obviously, that's a, a, a movie that, that's nonsensical in terms of how or if that could ever happen. But the point at the end where everyone's out and hearing the news at the same time and rejoicing, I'm not sure there will be rejoicing or there will be anger at the verdict here, but I envision, at least as it stands now, and, you know, news stories dwindle, emotions dwindle. I don't get the sense that this one will, but if it keeps even anything near the intensity that the country and the world feels about it right now in the future, then I imagine that a verdict will resonate worldwide in the same way that the protests have occurred worldwide and in the same way there have been calls for social social change and and you know fixing social injustice worldwide all in the span of a week so it's an interesting and very important moment in time for our country for the world and it's a lot to put on a jury it's a lot to put on a prosecutor to say that you know what this jury does will help determine you know which way the wind blows and blows strongly but that's how we that's how we operate in this country and you know frankly the world is watching love the correlation one of my favorite bruce willis flicks of all time armageddon and of course uh, a great correlation especially when the the birds you see flying uh in the skies uh, in and around the planet as far as uh, a really kind of getting out there and and freedom pretty much for all uh well done sir we will uh, wait and see and uh, look forward to the next time Thank you so much. You stay well. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for thank you for having me. And I just hope that everybody takes the opportunity to just try and listen and understand each other. I mean, that's really all we can do right now. That is uh, the the best way to end this conversation, without question. Corey, you stay well. Thanks so much. Um, you too. Yeah, he's right. Yeah, he's hundred percent right. We need to we need to communicate. We need to discuss and keep talking about things in life, folks. That's how uh, that's how we solve some issues here. 